Kathy and I went to a concert at the Now Arena. It was Phil Wickham and Brandon Lakes. And that was good. It was really good. And, and there was a man right in front of us. And I couldn't help but notice what was written on the back of his shirt. On the very back of his shirt, in bold letters, were these words, I am not the man I used to be. I'm watching him, and I couldn't help but think, I wonder what he was like before. I mean, here he is worshiping. He's expressing all this awe towards God. And my guess is his life probably was a little messy that he'd wear a shirt. I'm not the man I used to be. My guess is... His life was just not all that pretty. Something happened. And that's what we're going to talk about today. If you have your Bible, if you have a device, I want to encourage you to open up with me to Romans chapter 15. Now, why is it so important? Why do I say this each week? You know, if you got a device, if you have a Bible, because the Word of God is not like a newspaper. Do you all know what that is? It's not like reading a blog. I mean, this is the very living Word of God, and it's powerful, and it's active, and it's going to stir hearts this morning for those that are ready to receive. For those that want to hear from God this morning, God is speaking, and He wants to speak into your heart this morning. If you're able to stand, could I encourage you to stand? We're in Romans chapter 15. We're going to pick up in verse 14. The Apostle Paul writes this, I myself am convinced, my brothers and sisters, that you yourselves are full of goodness, filled with knowledge, and competent to instruct one another. Yet, I have written you quite boldly on some points to remind you of them again because of the grace God gave me to be a minister of Christ Jesus to the Gentiles. He gave me the priestly duty of proclaiming the gospel of God so that the Gentiles might become an offering acceptable to God, sanctified by the Holy Spirit. Therefore, therefore, I glory in Christ Jesus in my service to God. I will not venture to speak of anything except what Christ has accomplished through me in leading the Gentiles to obey God by what I have said and done, by the power of signs and wonders, through the power of the Spirit of God, so that from Jerusalem all the way to Illyricum, I have fully proclaimed the gospel of Christ. It has always been my ambition to preach the gospel where Christ is not known so that I would not be building on someone else's foundation. Rather, as it is written, those who were not told about him will see, and those who have not heard will understand. Father, this morning as we study your word, we invite in a fresh, powerful move of your spirit where there is a hardness in a heart, that you would soften it, they might hear your voice and receive it. Father, where their eyes are maybe a little closed or even dimly lit, God, give them eyes to see the truth and power of your word and what you want to do in them and for them. Father, where our hearing can be a little dull, God, would you unstop our ears? 
oh God, we need this move of your spirit, the power to come from you to change us so that all of us could say, I'm not the person I used to be. So Father, we pray in Jesus' name. And all God's people say, Amen. Amen. What a a great morning to be together, to study God's word together, to look at it. And as we look at this, verse 17 becomes the the focal point of it. And so it's the glory of the gospel is for everyone. That's the first thing I want to drive home this morning is that the glory of the gospel is for everyone. God is wanting us to bring the good news of Jesus Christ everywhere we are go. Everywhere we go by the power of the Holy Spirit. That's what we so often say here. Now, just to bring us back into the story, we're now at the end of the letter of Romans. The letter of Romans, a little different than Galatians that Paul wrote, a little different than the letters that he wrote to the church at Corinth. This ending is longer than he wrote to any other church. And so he's got some things he wants to say. And I hope you know, that all of us, when we get to the end of a letter, we don't just say, well, why do I care about Paul's travel plans? Why do I care about so-and-so in this place or that place? Because in these things, God still wants to show us something. He wants to speak, right? So when it says in 2 Timothy 3, it says all scripture, meaning all scripture, even the end of the letters is what? It's the word of God. All scripture is the word of God. So we want to be aware that God has something to say. Now, remember that Paul had never been to the church at Rome. He didn't plant this church. He had never visited it. But there's something that is strategic about the church or the house churches in Rome that we're going to see today that becomes significant why the ending of the letter begins to point us in some directions. Now remember too, we said way back, can you believe this? This is message number 30 out of the whole book of Romans. So back in message one, I told you that Paul was writing to the church in Rome from the city of Corinth. So Paul was in this place, writing to this church of some things that he wanted to say to them, but also some things that he was going to do. Now, how did he hear so much about this church? Well, probably, as we're going to find out, not next week, but the week after when we totally wrap up the book of Romans, we're going to find out there was a couple, Priscilla and Aquila. And they were co-workers, co-laborers with Paul, and they probably brought this news back to Paul and was filling them, filling him in on all that was happening in that church. So what's significant for us this morning is that these people at the church in Rome are not the people they used to be. Something radically happened. Something changed their life. So let's dive in a little bit. Verse 14, I want to start right there. Paul says, I myself am convinced, right? He's convinced, even though he had never been there, though he had not planted this church, he's convinced because of someone like Priscilla and Aquila. He says, my brothers and sisters, that you yourselves are full of goodness. Now let's just pause right there. This idea of full of goodness isn't just that they were nice people. 
What he's saying is that they were upstanding. You know, Joseph is kind of described as upright and righteous. He was a man of character. That's what he's saying about the church here in Rome. He's saying, you people are full of uprightness. You do what you say you're going to do. And what you say you're going to do, that's what you do. You follow through. You're not just a bunch of bumbling people. You're people of character. And can I just say out loud and hard, character matters. Character matters. We need to look at what's happening in the church where there's so much a collapse of character, not only in the pulpit and pastors, but also out there that people are just living too much like the world when God calls us to live so differently. And he's saying to this church, I'm convinced after hearing so much about you, seeing what you're doing, that you are full of goodness. But he doesn't stop there. He says, you're filled with knowledge. Now, when he says that, what he's saying is, you have command of the Christian faith. You understand the roots of the Christian faith. You understand the doctrine of the Christian faith. And you are living this out. You are full of knowledge. And this, of course, is certainly a collapse of so many in the church today in the 21st century. We so mingle it with so much gobbledygook. That's a theological word for nonsense. right? We just take from here, we take from there, we take from there, and we just start combining it, mashing it up, and we end up with a messy doctrine. And when you have messy doctrine, guess what happens? You have messy lives. And so God is calling us to study our Bibles, to understand them. And, and I've shared with you my heart about what's happened in our culture so much. It's why we take time to study whole letters of the book, uh, of the Bible, right? So that we can understand what was being written to them. And guess what happens? When we study letters like we do Romans, we get into topics that are often taboo in our present culture. And so if I was just doing topical messages, I'd just pick topics I like to preach on. I'd just pick topics that I think you all need to hear. I might just pick topics or whatever. But when you're in the book of the Bible, man, now I'm pushed now to talk about some things maybe that are not as comfortable, some things that we don't maybe want to talk about as a church. And so we look at this, and this church was full of knowledge. They were constantly combing through their Old Testament. The New Testament had not yet been written, so there wasn't a lot, but the uh, communication was getting more prolific with the Roman roads, and so they were learning more and more. But look at this last thing. It says that they were competent to instruct one another. Now, just think about that for a moment. Are you able to sit down with someone and walk them through the Scriptures? Are you able to teach them what the Bible says about Jesus Christ, what the Bible says about God, what the Bible says what God's doing in the world? Let me put it in a very practical way. These guys come walking by your house, they're wearing white shirts, they knock on your door, and they try to convince you that Jesus has not always been God. Could you take them to scriptures and show them that Jesus is fully God and fully man? He's as much God as if he was never man, and he's as much man as if he was never God. Could you show them? Because this church in Rome, they could. That's what he's saying. They were able to instruct. They were able to admonish. They were able to show people when they were out of line. Why? Because they knew the word 
of God. So goodness, knowledge, and instruction. How? I know you're asking this question. Did they get that way? And it's so difficult for me to get there. Right? How is it that they got there? Well, verse 17. Verse 17 is the driver here. Paul writes, Therefore, I glory in Christ Jesus in my service to God. So that phrase in verse 17, all you have to do with that word therefore is you're going to go back to verse 16, right? He's tying in what he's already said. And what did he already say in verse 16? To be a minister of Christ Jesus to the Gentiles. That's what Paul was called to do. He gave the priestly duty. Notice the language here, priestly duty, right? We wouldn't use that as Gentiles because this church, remember, it's been Jews and Gentiles together. Now, we don't, we think of it, well, this is just two groups, right? Well, the Gentiles are all ethnic groups than other than Jewish. And then you got the Jewish group. My point is, is that God is melding together a very diverse group of people. Ethnicity is significant, and Paul is driving this out, right? Is it a priestly duty of proclaiming the gospel to God so that the Gentiles might become an offering acceptable to God and sanctified by the Holy Spirit. So the Spirit is working to bring these people together. So Paul looks backwards to verse 16, and he's talking about this gospel, this good news that can change people's lives so that you could wear a t-shirt that says, I'm not the person I used to be. Something happens, something changes, something dramatic, but it's all focused on the person of Jesus Christ. Therefore, I glory in Christ Jesus. I boast about Christ Jesus. That's what he's talking about. Now, if you go boasting about yourself or you go boasting about your your skills or your gifts or your talents or all that you've accomplished, that would be sinful. But to boast in Jesus Christ, that's what we're called to do. And Paul's saying, I glory in Christ. I boast about him. I exalt him. I lift him up. He is the highest aim of my life. And we just pause for a moment. Is that the aim? of your life to boast in Jesus Christ. Too many of us, right, we're we're afraid to even mention his name in public, right? We're afraid we're going to get persecuted or someone's going to mock us or someone's going to say something. But no, Paul says, I boast about Jesus Christ. I boast in my service to him or in my ministry to him. Then you got to look beyond verse 17, and you got to look into verse 18. He says, I will not venture to speak of anything of what Christ has accomplished through me. Notice that. I will not speak about anything except what God has done in my life. Are you ready to give an account for what God has done in your life? Guess what's going to happen next week? I'm so excited. I, I just get like so excited. Next week at our outdoor service, we've got over 20 people getting baptized. And you know what they're going to do? Yeah. They're going to be testifying to what God has done in their life. And it's, it's going to be beautiful. And of course, I know some of the stories, but I don't know all of them. So I'm looking forward to hearing more and more. Now, as they, as Paul said, I glory in Christ or I boast in Christ. And he looks back to the gospel going to the Gentiles. I skipped over the three things that Paul is pointing to. The first thing he said is that they're acceptable to God. 
Isn't that beautiful? They are now, because they've heard the good news and embraced it, God looks at them, and you know what he does? He smiles. He smiles. He says, that's my daughter. That's my daughter. She's a princess. He looks at the men. He says, that's my son. And he says, he's a prince. They're acceptable to God. They've been brought into the family. They've been adopted, and they're sealed by the Holy Spirit forever. I mean, that's what he's saying right here. Do you see that in verse 16? They're acceptable to God. And then he says they're sanctified by the Holy Spirit. Well, what that means is they've been set apart. They're different. They're holy. Now, you and I may not look at ourselves and say, whoa, I'm holy, right? Because that sounds like such a religious word. But you know who says that you are? God. He looks at you and he says, you're not the one you used to be. You, you're not the one you used to be. I'm making something new. And of course, you know the book of Revelation. You get to the very end, chapter 21. Well, it actually goes in 22, but right, he, he, he says, behold, I am making all things new. You know, he's making you new. He's making you new. He's making you the way he wants you to be so that you could look back and say, I'm not the one. I used to be. Well, as we think about this, the glory in Christ, th this is not really new for Paul. Oh, I skipped the third. The third one comes in verse 18. He says they obeyed God, right? That leading the Gentiles to obey God. So they were acceptable to God. They were sanctified by the Holy Spirit or made holy. And then thirdly, they were obedient. You see, that starts helping us understand how they got to be good as it says in verse 14, how they got knowledge of the full Christian life and how they were able to instruct each other. It's because of the Holy Spirit working in them. So they were acceptable to God, the Holy Spirit's working in them, and then they were obedient. Can I just tell you, if there's an area of your life in which you are not obedient, it's gonna short circuit your spiritual life. Now, when I was a kid, I had a, a train set. I loved my train set. But it was an old train set, and uh, it had these metal tracks. And I had these, these signposts that were metal, too. And what I found is if the, the metal signpost fell across the track, it would short-circuit the whole track, and the train wouldn't run. That's what disobedience does. It's like that sign falling across the power. And you short-circuit all that God wants to do. So we need to take seriously by the Spirit, this isn't a self-improvement program. If the Spirit is showing you an area of your life that is out of line, the Spirit wants to root that out. The Spirit wants to lift that sign off the track so that the power can come through. And so any one of us, we need to recognize that God wants to do this and that we need to be obedient. Paul didn't just boast here, though. Let me, let me just bring you to some other scriptures. In, in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 2, it says, I determined to know nothing among you. So when he's writing the church at Corinth, he says, I determined to know nothing among you except what? Jesus Christ and him crucified. See how he's, he's boasting in Christ. 2 Corinthians 10, 17. Let the one who boasts 
boast in the Lord. Colossians 3.23, whatever you do, do your work heartily as unto the Lord. So when you go to work tomorrow morning, you're to do your work as unto the Lord. If you're a stay-at-home mom or a stay-at-home dad, you're to do your work unto the Lord. If you're going to the office, you're to do the work unto the Lord. If you're going to do the work of carpentry or you're doing the work of a postman or whatever your work is, you are to do it heartily as unto the Lord. Galatians 2.20, it says this, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who lives, but what? Christ who lives in me. It's Christ living through us. So when that man standing in front of me is wearing this shirt and he's saying, I'm not the man I used to be, the difference is that he's got Christ living in him and the Christ that's living in him is living a life through him. Unless, of course, he short-circuits it. But he doesn't want to. He wants to worship Christ. So, it is the life of Christ in us. It's the life of Christ in us. We cannot comprehend what this means. But the Bible is clear. The life of God is in the soul of a human being that has trusted Jesus Christ. And that life, unless we short-circuit it, is being manifested to the world. That's why we can say, I'm not the woman I used to be. I'm not the man I used to be. Not the wife I used to be. I'm not the husband I used to be. I'm not the father I used to be. I'm not the mother I used to be, right? Because of the life of God living in and through us. So we boast in Christ who is at work in us so that what? We can make an offering to God. That's amazing. Because we let Christ live through us, we can make an offering, that's what he's saying, to God. And that's what Paul was doing. He's saying, because I glory in Christ, and I let the power of Christ work in me, I can offer the Gentiles, I can offer the Gentiles as an offering to God. How beautiful is that? God is doing that. Could I just make that really personal? If you're a dad here, you got your kiddos, your kids can be an offering to God based on the way you live. Think about that. The eternal weight of a human soul has been entrusted to you, dads, and you can train them up so that they are acceptable to God so that they are sanctified, so that they're obedient to Christ, and that's making an offering to God. Moms, the same is true of you. Think about that. When you're ordering all your priorities and you're trying to figure out what's most important, this, this has a way of ordering your life so that you can make an offering to God. Well, I've said a lot. Let me move on to verse 19. Verse 19 becomes really clear. Paul says, by the power of signs and wonders. Now, the power of signs and wonders. There's a, there, there's a, a, a swath, a, a path, a, a group of Christians that believe that miracles were for a previous time. That it was for 
times like when Moses was leading the people out of Egypt. It was a dramatic time in the history of the world. And so, of course, we needed signs and wonders. And so God parts the sea, and he sends manna, and he sends quail, and, and he makes water come out of rocks. And they say, but God's not doing that anymore. Or you get into the New Testament, and, and it's a new dramatic time of God's work. And so, of course, there's signs and wonders. There's the outpouring of the Spirit. Let me just tell you, go ahead and believe that. And if you keep believing that there's only times, major times, you're not going to see miracles. I want to err, and I want our church to err, on the side of believing God for miracles. Signs and wonders. Why? Signs, as we see in verse 19, they point to God. They don't point to us. Signs are there, these dramatic works of God. Now, I know he never does as much as we all want. There are people we pray for the miracle of healing, and it doesn't come. We've prayed for that. But there's times when we can testify we prayed for healing, and it has come. We have seen people where they're out of work, and they've been out of work for a long time. We pray, and all of a sudden, they got a job. You can call that coincidence if you want, or you can say, no, God moved to make that possible. That's a miracle, right? And it's a sign pointing to God, not to us. So we can make this a long list, and God is still the miracle-working God, and we want to believe him and trust him and let him do what he wants to do, but we want to err on the side of believing him rather than doubting him or questioning him. But then it's got that second word, wonders, and that's where you're just, your, your, your jaw drops, <laughs> right? You just stand in awe, and you're like, God did that? God did that. And of course, if you've been part of Fox Valley Church the last year, you saw an amazing miracle with Light for the Future. Here we are, we're mapping out, trusting God for a two-year plan to eliminate $1.4 million of debt. And what happened? God moved. And you can say, well, this is coincidence. But in about a year's time, all that debt was eradicated, and now the money just keeps coming in that sets us up for phase two, the building thing. This is the work of God for those that have eyes to see and ears to hear and minds to conceive. This is the work of God. It's signs and wonders. Look what it says, through the power of the Holy Spirit. And then he goes, so from Jerusalem all the way to Illyricum, right? Now, you say, where in the world does a lyric come, right? Last week, I started my message talking about Acts chapter 16. Remember what that man said as Paul got that vision? He gets the vision of a man standing on the shore of Macedonia. And that's the gospel. For the first time in the history of the world, breaking into Europe, He's standing in modern-day Greece, and he's saying, come help us. And I don't want to re-preach that message that talked about the power of the Greek Empire, even as it was embedded in the Roman Empire. Illyricum is modern-day Albania. And so what happened is, as Paul was called over into Greece, he just kept pushing north and into Europe. Further and further, what was he doing? Preaching the gospel. And the gospel is taking root more and more and more. And so he says, I have fully proclaimed the gospel of Christ. Now, to give you a little picture, let me bring you into a map so you can see what's happening here, right? So 
You can see the map there. You got Macedonia. I tried to keep it a simple map. You got Macedonia. That's where Paul got that vision. And that's Greece. That's modern day Greece. And that's the gospel, the good news. Never been there before. Remember Paul. He said, I want to preach where no one has preached before. I want to go where no one has gone. So he goes into Macedonia. Then he pushes north and then he pushes a little bit east. And and where's he, he going? He's going, or west, I mean, north and west, and he goes into Illyricum, Albania, uh, former Yugoslavia, up in that region, and God is doing all this amazing work. But what he wanted to do was go all the way to Spain. So you see Spain over there on the far left, and, and he had this vision. And so that's where we want to go now, is that God has even more as we trust him. Now, before we leave the map, let me go back to the map. Uh, so that we can see, is that Paul wanted to go back to Jerusalem. Now, Jerusalem is back the other way, 1,800 miles. So I just want you to get a sense of where he was going. And this isn't jumping on a jet plane and being there in a few hours, right? That would be a four-hour flight today. Well, no, guess what? It took months to travel there. So let's go on forward. God has even more that he wants to do, right? God has more in your life that he wants to do. Do you believe that? Boy, that was weak. <laughs> do you believe that God wants to do more in your life? Yeah. Amen, right? There's more. He's more. But are you going to believe him to do it? He wants to do it. Can I just tell you a quick story? Kathy and I were visiting some friends. They're nowhere in the area, and we're sitting down with them. And, and this brother says to, to Kathy and me, and he says, yeah, I, I've been struggling with pornography. All my life. And then he said these words that just crushed me. He says, I don't think I'll ever get out. He didn't say it that way. He just said, there's no freedom. I don't believe that. I don't believe that. I think God is breaking chains all the time. He is shattering bondages. There's freedom for those in Christ. I'm not going to deny that there's not hard-fought battles, that this is terrible territory the enemy has claimed. But by the grace of God and the power of the Spirit, we can break those chains and we can see God break them. There is more that God wants to do. And I think that man settled because he didn't want to believe in the power of God. In other words, let me just say it a little differently. He loved the things of this world more than he loved the things of God. And he settled for that. I don't want any of our children in this church, when I think of Journeyland, I don't want them to love the world more than they love Jesus Christ. I want them to love Jesus Christ way more than they love the things of the world. I get so excited about the students and student ministries right now. There is so much happening, even while we're searching for a student ministry pastor. And these students, I'm I'm just amazed at how many of them love Jesus Christ more than they love the things of the world. And I'm hearing more and more stories of what's going on. We have so much to celebrate, and I want you to believe too, that God wants to do more in your life. Let's look briefly at verses 23 and 24. Paul says this, he says, now there is more, there is no more place for me to work in these regions, meaning Illyricum and and Greece. And he says, and since I have been longing for many years to visit you, I plan to do so when I go to Spain. So he's planning on going to Spain. I hope to see you while passing through and to have you assist me on my journey there. Listen to those words. I'm planning on coming to see you 
He said that way back in chapter 1, I'm longing to see you. Here he's closing up his letters, letter and he's saying, I hope to see you while passing through to Spain and that you, you, the church in Rome, will help give seed money so that we can carry the mission into Spain. That's what he's saying here. You're passing through, assist me on my journey after I've enjoyed your company for a while. Now, however, I'm on my way back the other way, 1,800 miles to Jerusalem in the service of the Lord's people there. You know why I think he wrote that? Because of the Jew and Gentile. He's committed to bringing these groups together, and it's so exciting to see what he wants to do. And of course, he's bringing a gift from the churches. He's writing from Corinth, so he's gathering up money from the churches in Macedonia that he planted. He's gathering up money from the churches around Corinth, okay, and he's bringing all that money to help out the Christians in Jerusalem. That's amazing. Do you know what happened this week? Fox Valley Church helped out our sister churches in Hawaii. We sent a gift to help those churches. Why? Because that's what churches do. They help the people of God stabilize regions that are being pounded by troubles and hardship. So Paul goes on, but let's jump into verse 31. Paul says, pray that I may be kept safe from the unbelievers of, in Judea. I, ju I just got to pause there. Pray, pray that I may be kept safe from unbelievers. I don't know what you believe about prayer, but I'll tell you, when I read that, this just gets me so excited. Why? Because God uses prayer to change things. He can even change the motives and drives and will of unbelievers that want to do harm to you. Isn't that what it says? Why pray if God can't do something that someone's got a motive to hurt you? If there's someone that wants to hurt you and you say, God, don't let them do that, is that just a prayer that falls on deaf ears? No, it's a prayer going to God who can change and redirect and move the will, motive, and desires of unbelievers so that you can be safe. Now think about what that's going to do when it comes to anything going on in your life. It's not just a prayer about being saved from unbelievers. This opens the door. Why do I love the end of letters? Because Paul is bearing his soul and he's saying, I believe in a sovereign God that is so powerful, he can change destinies of whatever's happening in my life. And man, I could this would be a message in itself if I got going. Here's a second one. Let's keep reading verse 31. And that the contribution I take to Jerusalem may be favorably received. God, would you change their hearts to make sure that the Jews in Jerusalem would be gladly receiving a gift from Gentiles? Again, he's praying, God, would you change hearts? 
You say, oh, that's because he's talking to Christians. Well, okay, he's talking to Christians. But in the first part of unbelievers, he's sure not talking about Christians. He's talking about those that are unbelievers. And so this sovereign, powerful God is at work by the Lord's people there. Verse 32, so that, here's his purpose, so that I may come to you with joy. He wants to testify to what God is doing in the world. And we want to do the same thing, right? We want to testify what God is doing in our families, in our marriages, Some of us get so beaten down, so discouraged, so lost with what's happening. And these two prayers should bolster you up that God can change the heart of a husband. God can change the heart of a spouse, a wife. God can change the heart of a child. God can do these things, and he is doing it, is his point this morning. And I just love this. By God's will and in your company, be refreshed. And I get refreshed every Sunday morning, and that's why we come to worship. So... Let's just put this into a historical sweep. Abraham, Abraham prayed to the same God and God answered his prayers. Jacob prayed to the same God and God answered his prayers. Moses prayed to the same God and he answered his prayers. David prayed to the same God and he answered his prayers. Ruth prayed to the same God and he answered her prayers. Mary prayed to the same God and she got her prayers answered and you can pray to the same God and he will answer your prayers. Father, we thank you so much. We praise you. We praise you. We praise you, God, because you are a prayer-hearing God. And it's not like just talking to someone. It's like talking to the, the owner of all, the master of the universe, the Lord over all. And you, God, can change things. You have the power to change things. You have the will to change things. And so, God, let us come in and pray miraculous believing prayers to see you at work. Oh God, we commit all this to you and all God's people say again, amen.